Welcome to Out of the Question, a podcast that looks behind some common questions and uncovers the question behind the question while providing real solutions for biblical world and life view. Your co-hosts are Andrea Schwartz, a teacher and mentor, and Pastor Charles Roberts. People often get up in arms when they discover that the media, pharmaceutical companies, or the civil government have deceived them. Let's face it, no one likes to be lied to. Or do they? Could it be because it has become so commonplace that we just expect it and maybe participate along the way? What prompted the topic Charles and I will be discussing today has to do with the many on-hold recordings that I'm subject to, I'm sure you are as well, when waiting to connect on the phone, whether it's customer service or just some inquiry. Recently, I was attempting to get a question answered, and for 20 minutes, yes, I actually timed it, there was a continuous loop recording that alternated between a female and a male voice, often separated by upbeat music, and it went like this, female voice. We are currently assisting another customer. Please stay on the line, and we will be with you shortly to give you the best possible service. A little bit of music, then the male voice. Your call is of the utmost importance to us. Thank you for your patience. We will be with you in just a moment. Until then, realize that you are very important to us. And then it repeated and repeated. Now, do you think my call was of the utmost importance to them, Charles? Despite the fact that in those 20 minutes, I heard those messages over 40 times. Was I being lied to? Well, I guess that can be debated. You certainly weren't being given accurate information. What was it you said they said your 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 business is very important or something like that? What yes, was it they the said? utmost importance. Well, I guess the question is how would it look any different if you're you you weren't of the utmost importance? <laughs> you know, right. You'd be getting the same treatment. So I once heard whether or not it's true that when these recording loops are going on, there is someone actually listening that these calls get recorded. I don't know if it's true or not. But somewhere into 11 minutes, I was like, oh, wow. Like you said, how would I be treated if you didn't care? Oh, wow. (laughs) My patience. Why do you think I'm patient? I'm not really patient right now. I'm very impatient. All I want is a question answered. I don't know if I'd like it better if it said your, I mean, sometimes they'll say your call hold time will be two hours. Okay. At that point, I can make a decision whether or not I want to wait two hours. But this is true when you're calling a government agency and I think we have replaced service, which is what we all call for, something like that, with niceties. And what I wanted to explore today, is this something that we all do, even though we don't criticize ourselves for doing it? Uh, I suppose to some extent. I guess it depends on what the uh, we, the, the we all do part is. I mean, I, I suspect that most of us are or I should say have within our orbit of acquaintances, uh, people who are known to make promises or set dates or meeting times. And if you've been around them long enough, you know they they will not show up on time, even mm-hmm. though they say they will. Man, I, I, I suppose that's a part of it. But this, I think, is deeply ingrained in our culture in various ways. And it's not anything that's a modern issue. Uh, I recall seeing one of my favorite TV series, The Andy Griffith Show, 
that uh, there, are, there are many instances in that series where half-truths or outright lies are told. And this is supposedly a, a series that promotes, you know, m- Christian morals and virtue. I mean, they don't claim that, but of course, it, you know, coming from the late 50s and early, early 60s, it, it has a fair amount of that. People go to church in the series and they talk about being good and, you know, this sort of thing. But still in all, there's, you know, little white lies. Oh, yeah, you, you look wonderful. And they rose, roll their eyes like, you they, they, they really you look terrible. I think those are examples of that sort of thing. And then, and it's also built into the fabric of a certain type of comedy too. So it, it, it's made acceptable to us in that way because, oh, it's kind of funny that, yes, he's, he says he'll be there, but we, we all know that he won't be. Right. I think of people say, I'll be there in a moment. Okay. What is a moment? A moment is like, wow. Okay. That just passed. You're not here or just give me 10 minutes. And then that 10 yeah. minutes turns into an hour. And like you said, we end up becoming familiar with those people who on time means two hours later. As a matter of fact, I engaged in some of this myself when I was running events for our homeschool choir in California. Seven o'clock start time usually means maybe you'll start thinking about going. I mean, people don't necessarily have a lot of importance on showing up on time. So I would always say that uh, the start time was seven o'clock, but I had no intention of starting until 730 because that (laughs) would give. Now, was I lying? Yes, I was. Was it right? Looking back, uh, there's some people who then showed up at seven o'clock and I certainly didn't honor the fact that they believed me. Right. So I've rethought a lot of these things in terms of how easy it is for us to complain about the government or big pharma or whatever. And we do some of the same things, but we have a good reason for it. Well, don't you think they could give a justification for their reasoning as well? Oh, yeah, sure. And and maybe it's important that we express to our listeners that this is not about Christians living absolutely, totally sinless, flawless, perfect lives. I mean, we all have our failures and foibles. But when this is built into the fabric of who a person is or into what a culture is like, that becomes problematic because it, it, it pinges on the issue of integrity, for one thing, and speaking honestly with our words. And this is, I think we all also need to stress to our listeners that this is about much more than the annoyances of modern life. You know, there, there are biblical reasons for bringing up issues like this. And I want to share a few of them with you now. But before I do, uh, I, before, before I forget this, I, I wanted to get this out there. I, I remember many years ago hearing, I, I don't know if it was one of those uh, morning radio shows. This is back when everybody listened to AM radio, you know, and, uh, there, there were some very, uh, popular and creative disc jockeys who had all kinds of crazy things. Somebody had recorded a a, a, uh, a mock sarcastic takeoff on what you experienced and being put on hold. And I wish to this day I had a copy of it or could remember the wording, but it was something like this. You know, we're sorry we can't take your call right now. Press one to continue to hold. And then it would come back and say, press two to just totally give up and hang up now. Press three if you want to go ahead and kill yourself. You know, it just had this elaborate thing about showing the absolute absurdity of what they were asking you to do. Having said that, however, in the book of Second Samuel, chapter 22, at verse 26, 
Uh, we read these words, to the faithful, O Lord, you show yourself faithful, and to those with integrity, you show integrity. So the being, uh, the, the issue being, uh, integrity and standing by our word and speaking a truthful word, this is foundational in living a godly life. Now that doesn't mean that, uh, we, we aren't supposed to have fun in life, but it becomes problematic when our sense of humor or the, the way we define having fun is deceiving people or not being honest with our words as a, as a matter of course. Right. I can remember going to the movie theater, which was a big deal when I was growing up. And if you were under 12, there was the price for those under 12 and 12 and over, you paid adult price. And right. I can remember my mother saying, okay, I want you to bend your knees. And if they ask you, you say you're 11. Right. Okay. Now the difference in price, Charles, was so negligible that it was like, Really, we, we, we were not a poor family. We're your average middle class family. We had money to do things. My parents sent us to private school, stuff like that. Now, of course, when you hit 12 years old, that's a big thing. And I think I was more upset because I didn't want the lady behind the counter to think I was 11. But my mother, by her actions, by her words, was communicating something. And so... When parents do this kind of thing, or just don't say anything, let them think this, let them think that, whatever, and then the kids get older and now there's some tension, what makes them think that their children won't do the same thing to them? I mean, they've witnessed what their parents were doing. And even on a much more seemingly silly note, Tooth Fairy, Santa Claus, Easter Bunny, we have built into our culture a lot of things which children then discover, oh, that's not really true. And if you and the listeners will begrudge me yet another Andy Griffith show reference. <laughs> Do they pay you to make these plugs? <laughs> no, they don't. And of course, it doesn't cost anybody anything to watch them. But um, there, there is one that I, that I, I and since I watch this continuously, I, there's one that I saw recently again for the 50th time. That just plays right into this because the major premise of the show is that Barney, the deputy, has developed a, a side job of selling real estate. And he's trying to get Andy, the sheriff, in, interested in selling his house and moving to a new house. And so there's a scene where Andy comes home and his son, Opie, is on the front porch with his bicycle and another boy. And it turns out Opie is going to sell his bicycle. He says, well, how much his father asked him, what you're going to sell it for? It's about five dollars, which back then was a lot of money. He said, that's a lot of money. Did you tell him about the the uh, the, the spring? The, excuse me. The the chain keeps coming off. And the other kid says, what? What are you talking about? Well, no, Pa, I didn't tell him that because it doesn't happen that often. And there were a few other little tweaks that uh, Andy had to point out. To, and he told, you know, Opie, you're, you need to be honest when you're talking to people about selling a bicycle like this. Well, then, you know, the next night. Um, there are people who show up at their home to take a look at their house to sell it. And the adults start fudging the truth. And, you know, uh, the son says, well, Pa, did you tell him about the crack in the ceiling? What? <laughs> did you tell him about how the roof leaks? And, and so he tries to explain to his son that adults selling houses and not telling everything that's wrong with the house is different than a little boy selling a bicycle. And his son looks at him and says, do you mean it's okay for adults to lie but not to, it's not okay for kids 
that yeah. that was a great moment because at that point, you know, Andy said, "No, it's not." Anyway, I'll I'll leave it at that. But yeah, th- I mean, this is how these things become ingrained in our society, and we kind of go off on a uh, the deep end with not being fair and honest with our words and making it like you know that's just the way things are. It's a normal course when you're selling a house to not tell everything that's wrong with it. Right. And should it be? Should it be? Well, not if you're treating others how you would want them to treat you. No, absolutely. And as we said, let me add another scriptural passage in Proverbs twelve twenty two. Uh, we are told lying lips are abhorrent, abhorrent to the Lord. Dear to him are those who make truth their way of life. What does that look like for truth to be your way of life? So before we continue along the vein, let me point out that there are times where wicked people are not owed the truth. We have those instances in scripture, which surprisingly, there's some controversy over, but I don't really think there should be if you think about it. When the midwives were told to kill the boys, number one, they weren't going to do that because God's law trumped man's law. And so they gave a story to Pharaoh that, oh, those Hebrew women, they just deliver so fast, we don't have a chance even to get there. So the greater principle there was, were they going to tell the Pharaoh, no, actually, we let them live because we think that your rule is wrong. And then they would just be replaced by other midwives. So that would be a case where the Hebrew midwives are basically given a congratulations from God because they did that was right. And you see that they were then rewarded for that in how God capitalizes them. You see this with Rahab when she lies to the people of Jericho and doesn't reveal that the spies have been there. You find this with Abraham when knowing that if he said Sarah was his wife, they would have no problem killing him. So he said she was his sister, which she was, but she was more so his wife. So there's a principle in scripture that says you are never required to give the truth to someone who will use it to do something evil. Okay, well, when my mother asked me to say I was 11 Instead of 12, I wasn't in a situation where I had to say, well, if I say I'm 12, they'll kill us all. You know, no, that wasn't the situation. So I'm not saying that in every situation, one must say the absolute truth. You sometimes have the option of saying nothing, but sometimes if you say nothing, then you're contributing to the evil thing. So all this is nuanced. But I guess the reason that this whole thing came to mind for me is that how often when we deal with each other, do we employ these techniques or these tactics, but then when it happens to us from people in authority, a boss, a civil ruler, whatever, that we're upset about it. It's like, oh, I see. It's fine for you to do it, kind of like what you said in the TV program, but it's not fine for someone else. Paul, in writing to Titus, And this is in Titus 2, 7 and 8. He says to him, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. I think that gets to the heart of what we're talking about in terms of our interpersonal relations. Uh, I mean, if we can't trust our fellow believers in the body of Christ, in the family of the kingdom, 
to speak to us words of integrity, then we're, we're failing each other in a profound way as, as Christians. Reminds me, um, you know, we, we talked earlier about people say who th- th- they're going to be there at a certain time and they don't show up or they habitually are late. I remember seeing a T-shirt somewhere that said, I'm sorry I'm late. I really didn't want to come. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, maybe there's some truth in that. And then to circle back around to, you know, we were talking earlier or you were talking about your uh, your going to the movie theater as uh, when you were younger. I think, you know, we see similar similar things when things move into an area where God's law word has not been fully claimed and honored. And whether it be in the area of commerce or competitive things and even in church, I remember many years ago there was a famous TV Christian TV network that was very popular all over the country with a man and a woman who were the hosts of it, who got themselves into a lot of trouble some years later. But before that ministry got to be world famous, it was local and uh, the area here in part of South Carolina and over near North Carolina where, where I live now. And, uh, the man who started it was on a local Christian TV channel here. Now, my uncle, who happened to be a Southern Baptist minister, he had in, been involved with some of these TV programs just because this TV network, before it got really, really big, it hosted all kinds of, you know, Christians, you know, charismatic, non-charismatic, Presbyterian. I don't know if any Presbyterians, but anyway, it was, you know, to promote the Christian message in a broad sense. And my uncle told me, he said, Charles, I can tell you from long before any of this modern scandal stuff with these people, that man was not being honest. He said, I, I was on the show one time and they were trying to raise money. And uh, he said, I know for a fact what the giving levels were because I was in the studio and he went on the air and told them they didn't have that much money and they needed more money to be to be brought in. And it was not true what he said. But the whole purpose was to, OK, I'm just trying to get money for this great TV minister, which is promoting the work of God. So I can lie a little bit. Right. And that's much more the ends justify the means, whereas God's law gives us the means by which we're supposed to live our life. It's not like, oh, I'm doing this for God, therefore I will lie, therefore I will cheat. And when we decide that the mission is more important than the means, then we move into relativism. And I'm sure from this person's view, hey, more money for the kingdom of God, regardless of how they were using it, is a good thing. So it doesn't matter if we prod people a little bit, and it's just not the truth. Yeah, I remember, you know, you and I have made several references in these podcasts to uh, our individual, both early involvement in martial arts. And my path in that endeavor was very much a spiritual one for me, admittedly, in retrospect, a pagan one. But nevertheless, that's what it was. And it wasn't until many years after I had become involved that I knew anything about sport or tournament oriented karate championships and, you know, having big karate tournaments, which the mecca of that sort of thing is where you live in California. But I never participated in many of these things. But when I joined a studio where they were involved, I was dumbstruck because I would go to these competitions. And for people who don't know, they don't think they don't really do these things anymore, I guess, on the grand scale they used to. But long before the finals in each belt division, you know, the, this is the white belt, the green belt, the blue belt, the brown belt, champion, the black belt championship match. And this is not full contact like, you know, today it was point fighting, but they would have preliminaries. And I mean, there'd be massive numbers of schools that would participate with tons of students. So if you had, say, the, the brown belt division uh, or the green belt division, you might have 40, 50 
people competing, and it had to be narrowed down to, say, four. And I was stunned when I found out that some instructors were having their brown and black belt students put on a green belt and go compete with people of less ability. Just outright deception. But see, that when, when things move into the area of competition and pride, it's easy for those kind of things to happen. And I think that sort of thing happens in different ways. And maybe the previous example I gave is how these things find their way into churches in terms of status and pride and competition. Well, the whole transgender movement is all about lies, right? We have You have to accept this lie because there's my truth and your truth, but they've dispensed with the truth. And Jesus identifies himself as the truth. And so part of the problem in being able to attack evil or identify it and then move to have other people see it is if you have some of these sins in your back pocket that you'll pull out when it's useful. That's why we really can't blame civil authorities or people in leadership if the rank and file people want it when they want it. Maybe then they'll be forced to just live with it if like, okay, so they didn't count the votes exactly the way they should. But, you know, the important part is we got the right person in office, stuff like that. Yes. And uh, obviously the political class, people who make a career out of civil government, especially on the federal level, are all too easy targets because they make themselves such of these kind of accusations. But in that sense, just like I think you were saying, they reflect the people below them, so to speak. I mean, the society, the people who make up positions of authority in society, they are going to be no better than the people from which they have come. And if the foundation is rotten, so to speak, then that's what you're going to have rising to the top. And the the challenge comes where we find ourselves today, where we have, I would like to think, a large number of Christians across these United States who do place some value in the truths of God's law word, in walking in integrity as God defines it. And now we find ourselves being maybe, well, I think ruled over probably is the best term uh, by people who put no premium on those things whatsoever. Uh, I think the, the challenge for us then becomes to recognize that that is the case. And sadly, when people tell you one thing, they have no intention of doing it if not doing just the total opposite to subvert what they said they were going to do. Right. So you're not going to be able to change the entire population of Earth, but you can start where you have jurisdiction and primarily in your own life. When we started talking about this, and this isn't the first time that I thought about it, but it's like, let's examine myself. Are there areas where I do the same thing? I found an article written by Calcedon's president, Mark Rush Dooney, back in the early 2000s. And he says that man's moral rebellion is more than a personal phenomenon. It has outward manifestations that will be visible in the life of cultures and civilizations, as well as individuals. God gives man over to moral rebellion, to a degenerate mind. He lets him manifest the personal, financial, and social consequences of his moral degeneracy. So if we're just going to base it on some people lie and others don't, we've got to get back to the idea that fallen man can't do anything else than be deceitful. 
even if on the superficial, you ask him what time it is, and he says, oh, it's 10 o'clock, and sure enough, you look at your watch, it's 10 o'clock. It doesn't mean that he never says what's true. It's that he's not governed by that. Yes, and those of us who would aspire to be governed that way, because we have been reborn by the Spirit of God, and we do walk in God's covenant, you know, I, I think sometimes we don't count the cost and recognize the work that's involved in being committed to these truths and this way of life. In the book of Psalms, chapter 101, verse 2, the psalmist says, I want to study the way of integrity. I will walk with a heart of integrity in my own house. Now, that's not just something you do. It's something you you practice, you work at, and you set as a major goal. And what does that look like? I'm afraid too few people understand what it looks like to study the way of integrity or to walk with that integrity in your own house. I recall many years ago, back in the 60s, when uh, those of us of a certain age were very eager to throw off everything that our parents were trying to teach us in terms of morals and spiritual things and all that, you know, going to church, depending on your context, going to mass, saying the rosary, reading your Bible, all these kind of things were just nonsensical, burdensome stuff that were squelching the, the spirit of youth and the and the new age that was dawning, the, the age of Aquarius, all that kind of stuff. And I remember being quite surprised and encountering some folks uh, at the university where I went of my own age who had totally rebelled against all that. But they had rebelled right into, I know in one case I'm thinking of, into the Hare Krishna movement, which demanded far more of them, you know, in terms of walking in the, the standards of that religion. For the men shaving their heads, giving up eating meat, giving up, uh, you know, relations with the opposite sex, doing all of these kind of things that were far more severe and demanded far more of them than anything God's law word would have demanded in terms of, you know, being human and, and that sort of thing. So people need to understand that to as the psalmist says to study the way of integrity that requires work it requires commitment but the end of that commitment the goal of that commitment is walking in the realm of life as god defines it and therein lies the blessing it's exactly like mark said in the article that you quoted by him you know we are living in the aftermath we are living in the results of um, the lord letting people have what they want and giving them the results of living in decadence and walking in the way of evil rather than in the way of integrity. Right. And integrity is an important word because how you define that word will have an awful lot to do with how much you value the meaning. Yes. Um, Integrity can't be made equal to useful lies. If I know it's not true, but it serves a good purpose, I'm not acting with integrity. Right. In the same article, he points out that man's moral rebellion leads him to believe in the autonomy of his own thought. We are wise, he claims. We can deduce truth in a neutral world as man persists in this moral rebellion turned intellectual rationalization. He becomes increasingly confident he really knows things like some frauds. He loses sight of the truth. He comes to believe his own lies. Man professes himself wise, but he is nevertheless the fool. And how dangerous is it when people have made deception, lying, making a habit of not telling the truth or the full truth, they start believing themselves as if they really are the people they claim to be. 
And scripturally speaking, the fool is one who says there is no God. Well, obviously, they've gotten to a point, not only do they, did they not care initially that God was watching, but they've even lost sight of where they started. Yeah, and I think it raises some important questions for those of our listeners, either themselves or people that they know and their families or in their circle of friends who may find themselves in circumstances where, say, you work for a company with the kind of phone loop like you were dealing with, or, you know, it involves some level of this intentional deception like that, with, with, of course, you know, the best of intentions. What are they supposed to do? I mean, how, how are they supposed to handle that? Well, it may depend on the circumstances. I know of a Christian acquaintance of mine. She worked at a local place that was promoting the woke agenda, the transgender agenda, like many companies and businesses, you know, have, have done. And it got to a point, and this was not super extreme, but it was bad enough to where she said, I can't in good conscience continue to work here. And so she quit. That's not an easy thing to do if you need the income. Sure. Uh, but if we are, you know, doing what we believe, well, what we know scripture teaches, uh, in first Chronicles 29, the writer says, I know my God that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. And so we, we can expect the Lord's blessing. Maybe not wake up the next morning and find an unexpected check in the mail for $500,000. But, you know, the Lord works differently than that. And sometimes the fruit of our walking in integrity doesn't show up right away. But, you know, it's, it's a lot better that we walk in integrity and have to deal with maybe some inconveniences, you know, than to be lavished with all kinds of accolades and rewards and yet lose our souls in the end. Yeah. Now, the issue with the kinds of um, experiences we talked about being on hold, thanking you for your patience, rarely when an actual human being comes on the line, did that person make the policy? That person is part of the machine. Right. And whereas at that point, I'm not happy with the fact that the recording didn't really say what they meant. The real meaning would be, we'll get to you when we get to you. Okay, I might not like the sound of it. It doesn't sound as sweet as thank you for your patience. But to recognize that this is something that's entrenched. And in the same article that I referenced, Mark says, humanism is no more than another name for man's justification of his own sinfulness. So people might say, well, you have to go to recordings. That's more cost effective. And then with the price of, you know, raising minimum wage and blah, blah, blah. The point is, if we start giving excuses why we're not adhering to not only the letter but the spirit of the law, then what we are are practical humanists. We may profess one thing, but if we love God, we must love his truth and repudiate the lies by which sin and rebellion are defended. We may not be able to change it overnight, but sometimes just being aware of the fact, did I just say what was true? Or did I say something that wasn't true because I was avoiding an uncomfortable situation? I'm not suggesting that if someone says, does this outfit look good on me, that you're supposed to say, no, actually, it's hideous. And I think you needed to go up three sizes because that's way too tight. Okay, that may be your actual opinion. But sometimes people are asking for such an opinion to affirm whatever it is they're doing. And so I'm not suggesting that there isn't going to be an element of kindness, 
if you get the sense that someone's really not asking you to do anything other than approve what they did, I, I, what I've had come to say is, well, do you like the way it looks? Well, I'm not sure. I, I think maybe it's a little bit too tight. You know, you might be right there. Maybe if, you know, I were you, I'd go with that feeling, right? So it's not like you have to tear somebody down. But if you tell somebody something is good and you don't think it's good, then you've <laughs> let them go away with, well, she approves of what I'm doing. Yeah, and I think what you're describing is something that is the fruit of wisdom and maturity in terms of dealing with other people and just living life. And that's not something you can get out of a can, so to speak. And it's something that parents should be teaching their children and in the church. And this, as you know, Paul says, the older women should teach the younger. And, you know, how else are people going to learn the, the distinguishing part of, okay, you know, that really looks this way. But I think the, the main thing that's being asked of me here is that, that, that takes a little bit of uh, ability to know you know, how to respond in a way that maintains both integrity, but it recognizes the real nature of the question that's been asked or the the situation. So this is another example of studying the way of integrity, um, walking uh, with a heart of integrity within your own home. That's something that has to be imparted and taught to people. You know, you're not born with that, that template in your head. Right. As a matter of fact, <laughs> you're born without that template in your head. That's, <laughs> that's sort right. of Genesis 3-5 right there. Right. So in, in doing some research for this discussion, because I don't like our discussions to be, I was annoyed by something. So now this podcast is me going to rail against people I'm annoyed with. That's why I started off with admitting that there were times that I've been less than forthright in some of the things that what I would consider unimportant. But if, if you'll do things at an unimportant level, what will you do when now the important thing comes? But back in... uh Dr. Rush Dooney's books, A Word in Season, he had an article that I believe was written in 1969, and he, it was, it's called The Right to Lie? Question mark. And he points out that the roots of this right to lie, certainly in governments, is not a new thing. It goes back to the Greeks, Plato, Socrates, Aristotle. If, if you're among the elite then you know better than everyone else and you lie to them for their benefit. They don't realize how incapable they are. And so what we'll do, it's kind of like a medicine. I think Socrates says only useful to men in the way of medicine. So it's plain that we must keep these lies readily at hand so that we can be the physicians societally that the people need. And so he looked and they looked that the rulers were the doctors and they were ones who were qualified to dispense truth. And Frederick Nietzsche had the same view. He said, falseness of an opinion is not for us any objection to it. In other words, it doesn't matter that it's not true. It's a condition of life. And we're the ones tasked by our own delegation here. We're, we're saying we're the ones who can do this. So if we don't realize that this is the basis of man's fall, after all, Eve believed a lie. Why? She liked the way it sounded. So if we have a right to lie, well, that's one way of looking at it. And do people want to be lied to? 
I think, Charles, a lot of people do. That's why politicians make hay on all the things they're going to do until they get into office. Yeah, there was, uh, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, but there was a popular song back in the 1980s by a popular recording artist. One of the lines in the song is, uh, you know, we, we, we want someone to rule over us. We want someone to fool us, someone to lie to us. In other words, he, he was voicing in that song the, the longing of people because they really preferred that kind of thing. And it's exactly what you're describing. It's a pagan idea that there are elitist people who know better than others. And it's really an aping or a counterfeit of the biblical model, which is, you know, parents do know more than their children. They're not uh, omniscient, but they do know enough to where they are supposed to teach their children uh, the biblical standards of right and wrong. But when you divorce, whether it be child-rearing, principles of government, and especially principles of commerce and business from their biblical foundations, you wind up exactly where we are today. And as I, I think I at least attempted to allude to earlier, it's in the level of competition and the level of money and business transactions and pride where these things raise their heads because the greater, the greatest good is for me to win that thing, get that money, make that sale, you know, get, get this many more people into my church or whatever it may be. And if I've got to lie, fudge the truth, make appearances that aren't the reality. And if that gets me to my goal, then that's what I'm going to do if I'm not following in the path of biblical integrity and wisdom. And so what happens when people start noticing that those in charge weren't telling the truth? And what I think is interesting now that more and more official talking heads are saying that certain medicines that were said you can't use during covid actually had some benefit. But now those same people are saying, well, we never said you couldn't take it. We never said you had to get a vaccine. We never said that. And there are people who said, well, okay, I I thought they said that, but maybe they didn't say that. Only when you have made truth and integrity a part of your life can you spot or are better able to spot when people are lying to you. And then the question becomes, and I think it's an important one, Charles, why are they lying to you? I mean, the fact that they are is one thing, but why? Why would they lie to you as opposed to why we should tell people the truth? I think it depends on if we're, are we we talking about why are the, why are government and business leaders lying to us? Why is anybody lying to us? We we have to understand the motivation because they're not doing it for no reason. That's right. And I, as I said, much of the time, it's for personal gain and popularity and fame and dominating others. But then there are those who, as we've said from the beginning of this discussion, who think that they're doing it for benevolent reasons. And you, you cited some very good examples early on. You know, well, you know, uh, all the other kids on the block believe in the Easter Bunny and Santa Claus, so we're not going to deprive our children of that. But, you know, that shows... I mean, I can remember as a kid when I found out there was, quote, no Santa Claus. And it's hard to describe that feeling of realizing you'd been lied to, if not betrayed, on something that was just a great hope and anticipation of yours. You know, and that that leaves a mark. It, I mean, obviously, we, we all recover from it if we've ever been told that and believed it. But, yeah, I mean, and I don't know how many people today, certainly when my wife and I raised our children, we didn't talk about that kind of stuff. 
when I was much younger, everybody, just about everybody that I knew, either in church or school or in the neighborhood, yeah, there was the Tooth Fairy, there was Santa Claus, and there was the Easter Bunny. So here's the question. If we're going to relook at our life from this point of view and saying how many things have we accepted or promulgated that aren't exactly true, then that will force us to pay attention to the idea of truth being objective and not subjective in as much as, oh, when I need to use this, I will use this. And you think back on education and you think back on textbooks. For those of us who do a little bit more research than others and have discovered that in our youth, um, which for you and me would be mid-20th century, we didn't exactly have our government telling us the truth about certain things that happened, certain battles, things that would then prompt people to go to war. And yet those things exist in the textbooks. And people are going to schools, most likely state schools, but I've seen this in Christian texts as well, that gives the glorified view of all sorts of things, which now when you back and go back and examine them, you say, no, that's what they wanted us to believe, but that wasn't really it. So in actual fact, how do you, how do you evaluate the truth? Right? How do you know if what I'm reading in this book is true? How do I know if the conclusions of this film or documentary are true? Well, you have to have a standard by which to judge truth. So James Bond was helping, you know, secure freedom and liberty for the Western world. Was he morally reprobate? Uh, yeah. So is James Bond the hero? Should we all try to be like James Bond? You know, if you don't have a standard, then somewhat anything will work. Yes. And the, uh, I think that's one of the major areas of deception and misunderstanding on the part of Christians, no matter where they live, is the idea, and you use the example of James Bond, I mean, he's doing this for king and country. And, you know, the, the implied idea there, or whether it be concerning the United States, uh, that, you know, God is on our side. You know, we, we are the ones who represent goodness and truth and the American way, you know, that sort of thing. But uh, in reality, when you pull back the curtain a little bit, and I'm not talking about just modern times where it's just widely exposed, the lying, the deception, the untruth coming from all quarters. But like you said, if you go back even 20, 30, 50, 100 years, you find that things that we were told are absolutely not true. And they're, they're done, those deceptions are put forth to prop up un- ungodly and unlawful regimes who don't want to lose power. And really, it does go all the way back to the garden and that question that echoes down through the centuries. Did God really say that? You make up your own mind about what's true. Right. To their peril. I mean, yeah. he didn't also yeah. promise them, by the way, you're going to get kicked out. And you're going to have to find a new place to live. See, that wasn't, he, he withheld the truth as he promulgated a lie, which is a very interesting combination there. It's not just that he told a lie. He knew what he was going to do. It wasn't a surprise to say, oh, they got kicked out. I never intended that. They were his target from the beginning. He wanted to mess up what God had blessed. And I'm reminded that, and and we have broached this topic before, but uh, I keep thinking about the fact that there are those who wring their hands when they hear people like you and me or Mark and Martin and others talk, oh, you want a theocracy, you know? Well, what we see today 
and the kind of things that we've been talking about from the very fundamental level of being on hold where you're being repeatedly lied to, to the breakdown in interpersonal relations, even in Christian families, to the wider perspective of international corporate entities just flat out lying to people and death and destruction come as a result. This is the type of life you have under the other theocracy, where man is God. And so the choice remains as it was in the garden. You will either believe Satan or you will believe God's law word and deal with the consequences. And I I guess the bottom line here is that it's important for us to identify what we mean by the truth. It doesn't always mean what works for us, what's good for us, which is really how it's developed. In other words, I can understand why someone lied. And therefore, it was okay that they lied. That's a value judgment that as soon as you make that value judgment, you've put yourself in the place of God because God speaks to something different. In Exodus and in Deuteronomy, we're told, thou shalt not bear false witness. And back to this article by Rush Juni, he says, it means that the God of truth requires all men to live by his law and in terms of his righteousness or justice. The God of truth requires man who is created in God's image to bear witness to the truth. To bear false witness is thus not only to disobey God, but to deny him. It is practical atheism. The right to lie is then practical atheism. Atheism in the rulers and atheism in the people. Christian faith is in the right of truth and in its inevitable triumph. And I think that's the bottom line. Yeah, and I don't know about you, but uh, over the years, I've had occasion to cross paths of people in business who are rock-solid members of their churches, evangelical-type churches in most cases. You know, they're they're carrying their Bible to church every Sunday and all the rest of the trappings that we would say, oh, you know, he's such a solid Christian. And yet the practices of the business they run are anything but biblical. This, this too, is and something else we talked about before. It's one of the, the spinoff results of a pietistic emphasis on just having a certain feeling in your heart versus a principled obedience to the law word of God. If we love Christ, we will obey his commandments in all areas of life, including business, including family, and including how you run your business and when you put people on hold. Exactly. And let me just finally say this. One of the biggest lies, one of the biggest deceptions that's prevalent today, and I run into people who hold this view, is that God's law shouldn't be the governing force in our lives. They've bought into the idea we are not under law, we're under grace, and I just have the spirit lead me. And I was having a conversation with a man this past week, and I said, so everything you think is true? Yes, because I'm led by the spirit. So if you wanted to steal something, that would be okay if the spirit was leading me. You know, not to say he was deluded is one thing, but he's even told me he had gone to Bible college. So somewhere along the line, these these lies were reinforced that we have to recognize that if we don't follow God's law and endeavor to figure out even the difficult parts, how to apply it, then really what we're doing is we're challenging God. And as Rush Dooney said, we're living as practical atheists. Yes. And, uh, in conclusion, I'll just say that I, I hope you don't get put, put on hold too many more times, Andrea. <laughs> yeah, well, 
the fact is it was, it, I, I have a timer on my clock and I thought, <laughs> oh, okay, I'm going to do this cut off at 20 minutes, but it gave us something to talk about. So <laughs> that's okay. good. Right. All right. Listeners, out of the question podcast at gmail.com is how you reach us. We appreciate those who say they like the podcast, but also those who suggest topics for us to discuss that are meaningful to them. So, Charles, talk to you next time. Thank you. See you later. Thanks for listening to Out of the Question. For more information on this and other topics, please visit calcedon.edu.